You are listening to The Referral with me, Dr. Curran. This is your weekly pit stop for all things health. I'm going to be bringing you the latest on science news, interesting facts, and amazing insights from expert guests, as well as a dose of quashing quasi-scientific medical myths. And today, we're going to be talking about a very underrated part of your body, teeth. Why are we all so fascinated by our teeth? How do we make them better? How do we make our mouths more healthy? What can we do and what are we doing wrong? I'm going to be joined by dentist to the stars, Dr. Rona Iskander, and she's going to be giving us the truth about cosmetic dentistry and general tips on how to keep our teeth healthy. I'm also going to be answering your questions in crowd science. If you have your own question and you want to be featured on the show, head over to thereferralpod.com. And if you want to hear even more answers to some of the questions you guys ask me, you can subscribe to the Referral Plus, where I do a deep dive on some of the questions you send me to my inbox. And you get all of my regular episodes completely ad-free. Just visit the Referral Show page on Apple Podcasts and hit the Try Free button at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Also coming up, we've got If It Ducks Like a Quack. In this bit of the show, I'm going to be taking apart all of those medical myths which are running rampant online. But first, we've got What the Health. Let's see what crazy new offerings we have in the world of science. What the Health? What would you think if I told you a transparent dead mouse could help us fight cancer. The problem we face now with cancer is that although we've got amazing scanning technologies like PET scans and MRIs and CT scans, and we've also got amazing cancer drug therapies and surgery, we still have the issue of cancer recurrence. The cancer can come back even if it's removed or dealt with with any chemotherapy or radiotherapy or things like that. It comes back and then we face the same problem with dealing with cancer again. And there are many reasons for this. There are just some types of aggressive cancers which recur. They come back because even one cancer cell, if it remains in the body and isn't cleared, can grow again and cause the same large tumor if it's allowed to propagate. Because when we offer surgery or we use targeted therapies like radiotherapy or chemotherapy to attack the cancer, it's directed against the large clusters of cancer cells and the large tumors that we can see macroscopically. It's We can see the entire cancer has been removed, but we can't see if the microscopic cancer or the individual cell clusters have been removed somewhere in the body. We just don't know. And if they remain, like I said, it could come back. Now, what's all of this got to do with a dead transparent mouse? Well, there's a team of scientists from the LMU University Hospital in Munich, which have come up with a weird new scanning technology called Wild Disco. First, the scientists give a cocktail of chemicals to strip the dead mice of their fat and their pigment so they turn into this weird biological glass mouse model. And then they can flood this transparent mouse with fluorescent antibodies to light the entire thing up and give an unprecedented, amazing, detailed image of the internal body of the mouse. And this new high-resolution scanning technique could help us identify these single clusters of cancer cells which otherwise would not have been spotted. This allows scientists to determine how cancer spreads and how it grows, but also improve our cancer drug specificity. Now, this is obviously really Really groundbreaking and very interesting, but there's still a long way to go because this technique of making dead mice transparent obviously only works in mice. We can't make humans transparent because that would kill them, which obviously defeats the purpose of what we're doing. But if we can understand a bit more about the biology of cancer, how it spreads, we can make even more targeted cancer therapies to target those tiny hidden cancer cells to reduce the risk of recurrence. So watch this space.
Hello, listeners of The Referral. It's me, Dr. Curran. Are you tired of scouring the internet for medical answers only to end up on shady websites? Is your For You page full of TikTok experts pushing miracle weight loss drugs and superfoods? There's so many myths and nonsensical health advice out there on the internet, but on our weekly crowd science episodes, I'm helping real listeners like you get the truth. Subscribe to the Referral Plus and you'll get access to additional crowd science episodes every week devoted entirely to answering your questions. Plus, as an added bonus, you'll enjoy ad-free listening of all our episodes. You can even try it for free. Just head over to the referral show page on Apple Podcasts and click on the Try Free button at the top of the page to start listening today. Have a question of your own? Visit theresurralpod.com and submit it. There is no question too weird or too awkward for me. So what are you waiting for? Don't let the internet deceive you. Subscribe now to the Referral Plus and start getting answers today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Dr. Rona Iskander. Hello. For someone listening and watching this, who are you and what do you do? So, my name is Dr. Rona, as you said. You can call me Rona if you want. I like Dr. Rona for my online persona. Yeah. <laughs> I am a dentist based in Chelsea. I have a practice. I have a very long story about my practice, but in short, I own a practice with 22 members of staff. Wow. Yeah. And I'm also one of the co-founders of Parlor Toothpaste Tabs, which is the eco-friendly solution to toothpaste. And I've lived in London my whole life. I'm Middle Eastern, so half Egyptian, half Lebanese. I resonate more with the Lebanese side, if anyone yeah. knows what that means. And that's me. Brilliant. Obviously, you know, this podcast is all about giving people actionable take-homes and tips about their health. It seems to me that on the one side, people worry about the appearance of their teeth. And, you know, there's this whole realm of cosmetic dentistry and whitening, which we'll get into. Yeah. But there's also the other side of health you know, the oral microbiome and actual yeah. gum health and teeth health that people seem to underrate and not really get into. Yeah. What are some very basics that you'd recommend a first time a patient or client that yeah. comes to you just in easy, low hanging fruits that they can do just to improve their mouth cavity health? I love that question because, as you probably know, we're going through a really bad time at the moment. We're going through an NHS crisis where people mm. don't have access to dentists. Yeah. And actually, dentistry is one of those parts of medicines where people don't recognise the importance of prevention. Some people that have found themselves with severe gum disease or decay have said, I was born that way. It's genetic. And although there may be a genetic component to the teeth, a lot of the diseases are actually preventable with good diet and good oral hygiene. But nothing has actually been done, I think, within the NHS or even in this country as a whole to really kind of put that focus on prevention. And I think you know that as well as a doctor with other parts of yeah. medicine. So some of the things that you can do is brush twice a day every day. It's the yeah. first thing in the morning and the last thing before you go to bed, which is really important. Mm. People forget that. Brush before breakfast and not after breakfast. I know yeah. you did this debate and got into a debate. Yeah. I'll go yeah. into that. I'll go yeah. into that. But ultimately with it, 
If you wait 20 to 30 minutes after breakfast, it's okay. But realistically, we're living very hectic lives and you yeah. know we're doing from one thing to another. So I think the easiest things to do is, is when you get out of bed, just brush your teeth. Why? Because the toothpaste that you use will provide protection to breakfast foods. So There's, the acidic foods and correct, drinks from breakfast. Correct. And so you should be using a toothpaste that has a minimum of 1,400 parts per million of fluoride. So you can mm. find that on the back of the box or, you know, tab toothpaste tablets, whatever you choose. That's the most important ingredient Correct. in a toothpaste. Correct. Yeah. And most people think that fluoride is bad for you. It's conspiracy theorist yeah. 101, yeah. Yeah. Kanye, I think, was the first one. that Really? Like, yeah, I yeah, love yeah, Kanye. Yeah, yeah. So um. He's the one that put the, um, put the idea out. But you want to use that. And what happens is when you have your breakfast foods, so whether that's orange juice, cereals, etc., what it does is it lowers the pH in your mouth. So the fluoride in the toothpaste and the ingredients help neutralise the acid and provide protection from those foods causing an acid attack on the teeth, as it were. Clean in between your teeth. That can look like floss, TP brushes, a water flosser, anything What's that helps. What's a TP brush? The TP brush that everyone says they look like little toilet brushes. They're the ones oh, that have okay. a handle little and tiny different colours. Yeah. Right. And different colours prescribe to like the different size gaps that you've got, essentially. Right. But cleaning between your teeth is really important. Drinking plenty of water as well. Mm. Water's going to be a better substitute for you than having like fizzy drinks, diet cokes, sports drinks, etc. Frequency is more important than amount. What people don't realise is that constantly sipping on sugary drinks or acidic drinks is actually more harmful for you than having it in one go. So say, for example, you love Coke. Yeah. And then what happens is, is that during your meal, you have a glass of Coca-Cola and then you're done for that for the day. If you're sipping with that Coca-Cola, what happens is your mouth is in a constant state of low pH and acidity, which allows right. the enamel to soften. And it means also for the bacteria to cause holes in your teeth. So actually just having that can of Coke and then just like getting on with your day um, or having water for the rest or of the day is much better. Exactly. To minimize yeah, contact 100%, with the teeth. 100%. Um, straw obviously goes without saying. The other thing is, is chewing sugar-free chewing gum with xylitol. People oh, don't yeah. know this. So people go, but what about my jaw? Because obviously it has an effect on what we call the TMJ. The TMJ is your jaw. Mm. Um, but sugar-free chewing gum is a great way to neutralize acid. So obviously it's actually got ingredients to help neutralize it. So I always chew on sugar-free chewing gum just to neutralize uh, the food that I've had or anything acidic, etc. It just brings out more saliva yeah. and, and helps And xylitol to... is actually um, anti-carogenic, so it actually does prevent decay as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. So sugar-free chewing gum? Yeah, with xylitol. And just, you know, more about the kind of brushing routine. Occasionally I go in these little rabbit holes about, you know, teeth and stuff. Yeah. I read somewhere that the perfect angle of using your toothbrush is sort of 45 degrees. Correct. Modified basque, that's what it's called. Modified basque. Bass, bass. Bass. So is that so the toothbrush doesn't start brushing into your gums and just targeting the teeth only? So that's a great question. Now, with regards to technique, it's absolutely important. So not only is it about technique, but it's about the type of toothbrush that you use. So we always say a medium bristled toothbrush. That means not too soft and not too hard. Why? Because okay. too soft won't provide that mechanical action of removing plaque. And too hard means that you could actually end up scrubbing away your gums and your teeth. And mm. some people have suffered from gum recession. So what they've done is they've put so much pressure, you know, that classic kind of motion where yeah, you're going yeah, like yeah, this. Really going for it. Exactly. You can end up causing gum recession, especially if you have what we call a thin biotype so that your gums are naturally more thin than somebody that has a thicker biotype. The best thing you can do really is an electric toothbrush. Why? Yeah. Because the electric toothbrush heads means that you're not exerting too much pressure on the teeth and the gums. It's automated, gentle pressure. Correct. And also some of them have a bounce back. So some of them have sensors to alert you that you're brushing too hard. Yeah. And you should put them on the gums and the teeth as well. So always brush the gums and the teeth. Again, people forget so that. A lot of people don't do that. Brushing the actual gums itself. 
itself. Correct. And the tongue, you've got to brush the yes, tongue as well. Yes, but the modified bass is, as you said, a 45 degree angle, which brushes the gums and the teeth and ensures that you don't overbrush. So mm. that's why. But how many people are going to really pay attention to that 45 degrees? That's why we say make life simple and buy an electric toothbrush so that you know that it's doing the hard work for you. Um, you know, now it's... We've taken it a step further because we've recognised the importance of the oral microbiome. Yeah. As you said, the oral microbiome has massively been overlooked. When we think about gut health, we think about our gut microbiome, mm, right? Mm. Like I'm one of those people that like massively bought probiotics yeah. and has suffered with my gut. Um, and then when we did more research, we found that the oral microbiome is key. So you can actually enhance your oral microbiome, tip in the favour of the good bacteria versus the bad bacteria by providing a oral probiotic. I think, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, people have, you know, those buzzwords, gut health and gut microbiome, but actually they fail to recognize that the microbiome is on every surface and inner cavity in yeah. our bodies from our skin to our mouth to our gut. Yeah. And, you know, the bacteria that are in your mouth have similar requirements to the bacteria in your gut. You yeah. know, I often tell patients exactly. that I see that you need prebiotic fibers. And similarly, your mouth, if you have a high vegetable or fiber content yeah. and you're chewing it, you basically create that mulch and that compost for the bacteria in your yeah. oral cavity to then feast yeah. on yeah. and do the good stuff. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you specifically about, um, you know, this thing. I mean... Some of the bacteria that we have in our mouths are involved in the production of nitric oxide, which, you know, contributes to regulating our blood pressure in other parts of the body because it vasodilates and causes the blood vessels to widen nitric oxide, yeah. which helps to reduce blood pressure. So, you know, anecdotally, in some people who have got heart conditions and high yes. blood pressure, they may not have good oral health. Correct. And these bacteria, which produce nitric acid, may not be flourishing. Exactly. So I saw a video online of this complete charlatan online talking about how mouthwash is the worst thing ever for your oral microbiome. Now, there's clearly some kernels of truth here, but when you're speaking to clients and patients about mouthwash, what's your take on it? Is it good, bad, or what's the nuance here? This is exactly right what you're saying. So a lot of mouthwashes on the market, I say it's a bit like using deodorant without mm. taking a shower. They don't want to do the hard work, as in like clean properly, and they think that it can mask bad odours, okay? So that's what a lot of mouthwashes have have been geared towards. Now, the problem is when you have bad breath, there is a reason for that bad breath. So for example, it could be gum disease. So yeah. as you quite rightly said, if you have gum disease, the bad bacteria are flourishing and can cause that odor. It could be because you've got cavities that have been untreated. Again, that contributes. Could be other things, as you probably know, like constipation. Have you got yeah. gut problems? That can contribute to bad breath. So just masking it is not going to be a good thing. But ultimately, you need to find out the cause of bad breath and the mouthwash really needs to be non-alcoholic. Yeah. And as a kind of adjunct to your brushing, it's absolutely fine. You know, there was a recent uh, article which came out, a study uh, looking at actually those people who didn't brush their teeth had a higher risk of brain shrinkage, particularly in areas associated with memory, like the hippocampus. They yeah. found that the hippocampal volume, so the brain region associated with memory, that volume was reducing people yeah. who didn't brush their teeth. That's now, so their hypothesis was probably due to the bacterial concentrations maybe going out of kilter and out of sync if you didn't brush your teeth. Yeah. And we know that bacteria have effects 
throughout the body, systemic effects yeah. in the gut, the heart, the brain. It's actually like the portal to the rest of the body. That's what I say. And I think yeah. that people overlook it a lot because they really separate dentistry from medicine. But actually, it's a part of medicine. In a way, it's a bit of a specialist field, right? If yeah. you think about yeah. it. Also, it's been linked to erectile dysfunction. I don't know if you wow. knew that as well. No, Gum disease. More content for you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brush your teeth, guys. <laughs> guys out there, brush your teeth. Yeah. We've just now made the case as to how important the mouth is yeah. as the kind of almost first thing that most people have to interact with their environment, yeah. that sensory organ. Why is it then that in the NHS specifically, we almost treat the mouth and the oral cavity as an exception to the body? If someone has a broken leg, they go to the emergency room and get it fixed for free on the NHS. But if someone has a dental abscess or some tooth problem, majority of people cannot get free dental treatment. Why is that? Oh, gosh, this is such an important topic right now. And we are really in a national crisis. Yeah. In fact, uh, the average waiting list at the moment to have access to an NHS dentist is about five years. It's mad. And I think that we really need to go back and understand. First of all, you said a really important thing. Why is it treated differently? Well, I think, unfortunately, dentistry was never really considered with the rest of medicine. So, for example, the contracts that were set out and the system that has been created is not right and it's not fit for purpose. Recently, Rishi Sunak came out, I don't know if you know this, but two weeks ago and said that NHS dentists, i.e. graduates, mm. are going to be forced to do NHS dentistry wow. for a certain period of time. The president of the BDA came out and said, you cannot force people or tie people to a sinking ship. So let me talk to you a little bit about the way the system works. And this is what it was like when I graduated. Mm. We worked in a system called units of dental activity, right? So that means, say you needed 10 fillings, okay? And you needed a lot more care than the person next to you, Joe Bloggs, that needed one filling. Right. That dentist would get, I cannot say the remunerated. word. Remunerated, yeah. exactly. Exactly the same for those 10 fillings and those one fillings. It doesn't make wow. me, so if your appointments take over four appointments, you get paid the same, right? It's not sustainable to run a practice that way. Why? Because it doesn't account for the materials, the staff, the time. Yeah. But what happened was, is that they put us on a treadmill. So I had to achieve a certain number of UDAs a month or I'd just lose my job. Wow. That means I had to do checkups in like 10 minutes or I'd had to do fillings in 20 minutes. And I just couldn't provide the adequate care. I worked on the NHS for 10 years. I was intended to work on the NHS. You know, it wasn't really an option to just go private. But I suffered from burnout. Dentistry has one of the highest suicide rates of any profession, wow. if you know that. Um, and I was, you know, my mental health was like hanging on a string. And I just, I cannot do this anymore. Now, take it a step forward, 2020, mm. the pandemic. What happened during the pandemic? As you know, you were allowed to work. We weren't allowed to work. Yeah, yeah. We were given no guidance, no guidelines. The government didn't tell us. So you guys were dealing with, I'm sure you knew this during the pandemic. Hey, I have a toothache. Well, I'm a doctor. I'm not a dentist. <laughs> People didn't know what to do. They were just been given antibiotics. A lot of reversible diseases like cavities turned into irreversible diseases. Mm. So those irreversible diseases become more expensive to treat, right? Then when we were allowed to be open, we had to work under such horrible restrictions. So we yeah. had to allow for fallow time. That means we could see less patients. So that means there was a backlog, a backlog, a backlog. Mm. This has been building over three years. So eventually dentists had to close the door to NHS patients. So we can, can't treat our own patients. Yeah. You know, we're dealing with the irreversible diseases that could have been treated, people missing checkups and so forth during the pandemic. And I think ultimately more and more people are feeling that they can't work under this system. So it, it's seemingly an insurmountable 
you know, a climb now where you've got the backlog, but also the working conditions. How often should people be seeing their dentist if they can get appointments? Like what's twice a, a year, so twice every year. six months, but it's tailored to each individual depending on their needs, whether they're high needs or low needs. And also a hygienist and a hygiene therapist, which by the way, they haven't been utilized enough. Hygiene therapists, they're qualified yeah. to do fillings, checkups and cleans. Really? Yes, but they have not been utilized again by the wow. system to allow the dentist to do like the very complicated Complex things. like. Tasks. Yeah. like extractions, etc. So obviously we've spoken so far about the how to improve our health and you know looking at the sort of disease states. But obviously there is a whole other world with people who have healthy teeth and want to make them or give the impression that they're even healthier than they are. And that's the world of cosmetic dentistry and aesthetics as well, sure. which you're heavily involved in. When you see patients who come in and who want pearly white teeth, there's so many things going on in terms of teeth whitening strips that people can do at home and there's just so much confusion. What, what is it that people want in terms of whitening their teeth and is there any danger behind that or is it, you know, a kind of like an innocuous thing and just aesthetics only? You must have whitened your teeth already, checked Me? them out. Yeah, I've, I, I've never whitened really, my teeth. They I've are never so, we would really? call you a BL3 or 2. Which what does is is that like, mean? <laughs> it's like top tier white teeth. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's what people try to aim for um, when they go for whitening. So you... I, was, I was tempted once to um, get my teeth whitened at the dentist. Yeah. Uh, this is when I was just visiting India yeah. where... I think it would have just cost me maybe twenty pounds. Yeah. But I didn't trust. No, don't do it. Yeah. So I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't think there's any regulations for that stuff. So, so when someone you just said I'm a BL three, so yeah. there's a whole um, range. you know yeah. range of yeah, things, yeah. and yeah. that depends on someone's skin tone as well. No. So okay. So there's a, there's a, a plethora of re uh, reasons why people have discolored teeth, and I think it's important to separate the difference between intrinsic color and extrinsic color, right? Because people can have discolored teeth because they smoke yeah. because they drink black coffee, um, red wine, turmeric lattes, all that stuff, right? So that's no, that's extrinsic, right? Intrinsic is the medication stuff that you're talking about. So either they could have a genetic disorder see, yeah. or they could just be genetically have more yellow teeth. So we have um, what we call a Vita shade guide. The shade guide will tell us what you are on the scale. The B shades are the best colors. So they're the whiter colors that people try to aim right. for. B1 is usually the whitest that you can find in nature. What happens is, is that most patients that come in, well, first of all, they go online and they might see brands. I'm not going to out them, obviously, on a podcast, yeah. especially on TikTok. And they're like, oh, my God, my teeth have like turned from like yellow to white in 5.3 seconds. Well, first oh. of all, there are some products that work in terms of stain removal. So you might find non-abrasive whitening toothpaste. So they can help remove the stains. So if you think about it, when we talk about abrasivity, we can think about like sand particles, right? So yeah. then they're going to scrub off, right? They're like stoking. And that's safe. Depends on how abrasive it is, because if right. it's literally like sandpaper, imagine uh, rubbing away the enamel. Correct, correct. Then you've got the intrinsic causes. So if you've got things like genetic disorders or you've had trauma or antibiotics, that stuff's really not going to do anything because mm. it's not dealing with the root cause. Yeah. That's when you need to consult a dentist and that will, is when they will give you options or products that will cause the chemical reaction. For some people, for example, with mild tetracycline staining, they have to have a long course of whitening, which involves the key ingredient hydrogen peroxide. Yeah. Hydrogen peroxide is the key ingredient causes a chemical reaction that turns your teeth from yellow to white. And that's the only thing that will but work. But again, that can be quite abrasive. No, no, no. 
Legally in the UK, we can use 6% hydrogen peroxide as prescribed by a dentist or 16% carbamide peroxide. But what about if the peroxide gets to your gums? Again, all the over-the-counter stuff that use peroxide, if they give you a gum shield that allows the peroxide to just be free-floating in your mouth, not good for you. Mm. Number two, the other thing is is that uh, the hydrogen peroxide over-the-counter is 0.1%, so it's okay. going to do nothing. It's yeah. really, really yeah. low. When you go to a dentist, they'll create bespoke trays that fit your mouth in a certain way, which means that you don't have harm of that reaching your gums and it makes sure that it's in a protected, secure way it's being delivered. Now, obviously, the whitening is a superficial aspect of cosmetic dentistry. We've got more invasive approaches and you've seen these people online who almost wear down their teeth though it's like shark teeth and all sorts of weird things. And for the average person listening or watching this and you hear things like, um, you know, veneers and porcelain this and that. What What is all of that? And how invasive can you get with, you know, cosmetic dentistry? Uh, cosmetic dentistry is what I do all day. So yeah. this is something that obviously that I'm so passionate about. The problem is, so with the NHS crisis, and also I think with the pressure of social media and body dysmorphia and people feeling they need to look a certain way, I think that people really feel the pressure to have perfect teeth, yeah. right? Yeah. And at the end of the day, in a lot of countries like the USA, Europe, UK, it's almost become unaffordable to have cosmetic dentistry. So what they're doing is they're going abroad and having their teeth cut down to pinpoint. And what happens is they're sold the dream of having veneers, but they're actually getting crowns. So crowns right. are when you cut around the whole surface of the tooth. Okay, so it's a 360 degree cut down of the tooth. When you cut down the teeth, it's irreversible. Veneers are when you only shave down the front surface of the tooth, okay? So perhaps in some cases you could lose as little as 3% of the uh, natural tooth surface and maybe... It's in, not a lot. Yeah, and, and in the more invasive, 30%. So I try to stay on the 3% depending on the case, but there's lots of other factors Those are well. veneers. Correct. Crowns, you can end up losing 70 80% of your natural tooth surface, especially in the ones that we're seeing online. People aren't recognizing the long-term implications and what they're thinking is like, I'm going to have a big white smile. And as you know, like the types of smiles that are coming out are very thick, they're very opaque. There's so many dangers with getting your teeth done abroad. And can you imagine that a lot of people that are going abroad are between 20 to 30 years old? Yeah. Let's say they hope to live till they're 80, 90 or more. What are they going to do? In Decades with dentures or no teeth. Correct. Honestly, um, I once sent out a message on Instagram pretending to be a patient. See my teeth? Yeah? Okay, yeah. we can agree. They're nice teeth, just like yours. I said, hey, guys. And it was a famous clinic abroad that had um, treated a lot of people. And I said, what would you recommend? They recommend 28 out crowns for my teeth. I have no disease. I have no pathology. God. My teeth are pretty white. But that's their standard treatment plan for most people. But that in the UK, if I prescribed that treatment plan to you, I would literally lose my license. Yeah. So you cannot justify that from a health kind of pathological, um, you know, reasoning of why you would do that. That's actually really scary to know, mm. you know, stuff like that's happening. And, you know, it's good to know at least people like you are out there calling this out and yeah. highlighting the awareness of these things on yeah. social media. You know, the, the thing you say that, obviously, one of the worst things for your teeth is constant acid exposure. I see a lot of patients with acid reflux and... I feel that dental health in that population is potentially a lot worse because, I mean, I feel that, 
you know, if they get acid reflux and they're constantly getting a barrage of, you know, saliva and acid into their oral cavity after a night of, you know, poor sleep or poor habits, they're eroding their sort of that enamel layer of their teeth and they're worsening their oral health. But not much is being done to target that of those medical conditions which are unrelated to uh, dental health. You know, it could be they've got a hernia which is causing them to reflux or they've got a hiatus hernia or they've got some gastric conditions which result in them you know, regurgitating their food more. And a lot of medical practitioners like myself who obviously aren't taught about dental health specifically in medical school they don't know about these strategies to improve oral health. And it should be almost commonplace for doctors in hospital, nurses, doctors, surgeons, to also consider dental health, given how wide reaching it is to our wider body health. You know, it's just like nutrition, don't you think? Like, yeah. Because obviously, did we learn how important nutrition was? Not really. Yeah. And really how so many diseases are linked to diet and stress and all these things that, you know, perhaps we consider a bit more woo-woo, you know, because yeah. we're kind of in there, you know, into the sort of like... Second time I've heard that word today. Woo-woo. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, but the thing is, is that, and it really interferes with my job, by the way, because as I said, a lot of people seek cosmetic work. Mm. And when they do, I say, look, you've got erosion. I ask them about eating disorder in their history. I'm like, have you been tested for GERD? You know, like gastroesophageal reflux. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what that is. Okay, you need to go back to your doctor and yeah. need them to do a test because if it's not under control, everything I do will fail. It's going to be you know, exactly, and actually, you're going to end up in the same position. So, like, there's all these important things that I tell people to consider. That's the thing. I think when we see patients, we can see the main cause, the elephant in the room. But realistically, you know, there's other factors for long-term sustainability of body health, dental health, yeah. those need to be addressed before just papering over the crack right. of removing the elephant from the room. Yeah, yeah. We need to make sure the foundation's in yeah, place, like yeah, you yeah. said. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming no, on and a shining a light on dental health and keep doing it what you're doing online. Thank you. I'm sure we'll speak again. Thank you so um, much. Now, before I let you go... You did have a question for me. Yes. I don't know what it is. I've not okay. been exposed to this. Um, so, yeah, fire away. Does fluoride damage your third eye? Oh, God. <laughs> From a spiritual point of view, what is it? You know, uh, the kind of ancient yogis and Ayurvedic practitioners in ancient India believed in some sort of third eye. What does a third eye mean? Intuition, isn't it? That's some sort of gut the, instinct. Yeah. I mean... You know, the scientific way of thinking about the third eye is potentially the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is a small, you know, a cluster of uh, neurons and cells, which is your biological yeah, clock. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is that your third eye? Um, you know, who knows? But uh, with regards to crystals and third eye being, uh, you know, awoken by something, it's probably someone trying to sell you a course or a supplement, yeah. right? And that's why a lot of people are stopping fluoride. So I'm glad the doctor has said it. The doctor has spoken. I mean, the, the fluorides <laughs> in our water supply to help with our oral health and yeah. various other things. So, you know, I don't believe that there's this whole entire conspiracy theory and that all the dentists are in on it and the you know, doctors are in on it and like, let's control the population. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that would be fanciful thinking. But um, yeah, I don't subscribe to that at all. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. 
I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in, hold it. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. It's now time to take down those fallacies, misinformation, and general nonsense that you hear about online. So this myth is a throw forward to the conversation we're going to be having about all things fertility next week. The myth is being on the pill for too long will delay how quickly you can get pregnant. Now, obviously, there's lots of different types of contraceptives out there. There are implants, there's the Mirena coil, there's the oral contraceptive pill, there's the morning after pill, there's a lot of variants out there. But the studies have shown that taking contraceptive medication does not affect long-term fertility, but it might delay somewhat how quickly you get pregnant afterwards because depending on the type of contraception you take, it might have longer lasting effects. But usually within a few days to weeks, if it's just the pill you're taking, the women should be back to a normal period cycle somewhat in a matter of days to weeks, which means then the person can then begin to try for a pregnancy. Now, the majority of studies have shown that if you take any oral contraceptive pill, it should not have any long-term effect on future fertility. And after stopping these medications, your natural body hormone levels should begin to normalize within days to weeks, which means that you should be able to achieve a normal menstrual cycle and then begin to try for pregnancy. Now, if you want to learn more about contraception and fertility in general, how to boost our fertility, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman and things we're doing which directly affects our fertility, you want to tune in to next week's episode where I have Dr. Helen O'Neill. She is a fertility expert. That's going to be a spicy conversation. This next one is just plain weird. I saw a video recently about artistic swimmers doing milk shots to the eyeball. Yes, milk shots, actual milk that you drink into your eyeballs. And I made a video about this as well. But given that original milk shotting video got somewhere in the realms of 20 million views, I think it's fair I tell you about why you probably shouldn't use milk in your eyes. So to paint you a picture, there are these artistic swimmers. So these are, you know, synchronized swimmers who do their sport 
underwater. And their sport defines that you can't wear swimming goggles when you're actually competing in the sport. You can potentially wear swimming goggles if you're training or rehearsing, but even then sometimes they don't. So obviously, if you've got your eyes open for long periods of time in the water, the chlorine will get in your eyes, cause some irritation, and you'll get red eyes and it feels stingy, it's itchy, it's red, not nice. And these artistic swimmers online who posted the video, and apparently it's a pretty widespread you know, thing which swimmers do, is they fill their swimming goggles with shots like you would a, you know, a shot of alcohol, and they shot it directly into their eyeballs. And the theory revolves that the milk can help to soothe the eyes and relieve the irritation caused by the chlorine in the water. Now, there may be some science which helps to back this up. Obviously, the milk will have some sort of cooling effect, assuming it's chilled milk, and that may help to soothe the irritated eyeballs. And there is also limited evidence, very limited evidence, to suggest that the casein, a protein found in milk, may have some anti-irritative, anti-inflammatory properties, again, which may help to relieve the symptoms of itching and irritation. If for whatever reason you feel that you need to put milk in your eyeballs, something which I do not condone, by the way, if you still feel the need to ignore me and do this, please use pasteurized milk, which will obviously limit the amount of sneaky bacteria which could get into your eyeballs, which obviously you don't want. And you might want to dilute the milk with water first. So it's a bit more gentle on your eyes. Again, I repeat, I would not suggest putting milk in your eyes. Just leave it for your beverages. Um, but an alternative would probably be to use specific artificial gel tears or eye drops, either before or after having your eyes open in water. And if you can avoid it, probably avoid just going in the sea or in water with your eyes open and maybe use goggles if you can. Just before we go, we've got a listener question for Crowd Science. Today, it's Cami from Scotland. Is vaping better than smoking? Cami, that is a very, very interesting and very important question as well, because there's lots of misinformation about this. There've been lots of recent studies looking at whether e-cigarettes and vaping are safer alternatives than smoking. And overall, our understanding of the impact of e-cigarettes and vaping on the human body is still limited because, you know, they've only been around for, you know, 20 odd years. It was only 50 years ago that doctors realized that smoking wasn't good for you because, you know, before then, many decades ago, doctors used to recommend cigarettes for a cough, a tummy ache, headache. They used to recommend you smoke menthol cigarettes or something like that. So it was only once the dead bodies started to pile up, people realized, hey, smoking isn't so good for you and it causes this and this and this. We may still be in that stage, in that curve with vaping. Obviously, we know now there's increasing evidence that there is e-cigarette related lung injuries because of the superheated chemicals that goes into vaping and that can cause injury to the delicate membranes and the linings which line our respiratory system and our airways. So clearly any heated chemicals which come into contact with those thin, delicate surfaces can have an impact on blood flow, on free radical production, which can increase the risk of inflammation and damage, and thus increase the risk of chronic lung diseases. And in fact, 
Some of the studies I mentioned before do suggest that vaping can actually increase the rate of chronic lung injury compared to smoking. And if you combine smoking and vaping, that's even worse. And not to mention there are various dangerous chemicals which have been found in these e-cigarettes as well. And it's safe to say that we now have lots and lots of warnings on the cigarette boxes about the dangers of tobacco and cigarettes. We are still not at that level of marketing and awareness about the dangers of vaping. It still seems somewhat unregulated. And the problem is, because vaping is being sold as this you know, smoking cessation aid, which there is no evidence for at the moment, given the literature, you know, we've got people who otherwise would never have smoked or vaped just vaping for the sake of it. So it's potentially a dangerous gateway substance into more dangerous things like tobacco. But to answer your question, is vaping safer than smoking cigarettes? Perhaps in some ways it may be. There's clearly not an abundance of carcinogens that you do find in tobacco smoke and you aren't inhaling smoke in that sense. But you are inhaling these heated chemicals and we're still understanding the effect of it. So we just don't have the long-term data. And what I'm trying to say is right now, if you had to pick between vaping and smoking, I would prefer you pick nothing. Cami, that was a great question. I hope you learned something from that and just be aware of the dangers of vaping as well. It is not as innocuous as it seems. And in this week's extra episode, I'll be answering a question from Darren all the way from Manchester. So Darren says... Hi, Dr. Curran. I absolutely love these fizzy, effervescent, delicious vitamin C tablets. I always drink them when I feel hungover and then as and when I feel tired or even just fancy a fizzy drink. Are there benefits to drinking this thirst-quenching and good-for-you drink? Do they do what they say on the tin? I've always wanted to know. You're the best, he says, and that is true. Great question, Darren. If you want to hear my answer to that question about vitamin C tablets and a deep dive into a bunch more questions, you can subscribe to the Referral Plus and check out our extra episodes called Crowd Science Extra. And you also get ad-free listening to every episode of the show. Just visit the Referral Show page on Apple Podcasts and hit the Try Free button at the top of the page to begin your free trial today. And you'll see the extra episode which sits right under this episode on the feed. And don't forget, you can get your question featured on the show just get in touch at thereferralpod.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Referral. Yes, I am a real doctor, but I'm not your doctor. So if you require any specific medical advice, please contact your own healthcare professional. And remember, nothing on this show is intended to provide or replace any specific medical advice that you would otherwise receive from your own healthcare practitioner. This has been a Sony Music production. Production management was Lily Hambly. Videos by Ryan O'Meara. Studio engineer was Ed Gill, DOP Teddy Riley, music by Josh Carter, Grace Lakewood and Hannah Talbot were the producers and Gaynor Marshall and Chris Skinner are the executive producers.